1 Corinthians chapter 10. Make sure you pull down the sermon notes this evening. Please do follow along as we preach through the Scriptures. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. In verse 5, Paul transitions. And the key verses are 5, 6, and 12, 11 and 12. And our title tonight for the message comes out of verse 5. Paul makes a very interesting statement. He goes back historically to the nation of Israel. And speaking to the church at Corinth, he says that Israel was overthrown in the wilderness. God preserved the Old Testament to give us an admonition, to give us examples. He said in verse 11, all these things were written for our admonition. They happen for our examples. And so tonight we're going to kind of look at where Paul, we're picking up where Paul left off last time in 1 Corinthians 9, two weeks ago. And we want to just see some things tonight that will challenge our faith and help us to learn from the mistakes of the Israelites. So let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight. Your people have worked hard, they've labored, many are going through trials, many have things going on, they're not really certain where it's all going to go, and tonight we just pray that you'll help settle our hearts in the Word of God. I know there's a lot of anxiety out there, but I pray you'd calm the hearts Remove the anxious fears and transform them into trust and faith in God. Thank you for technology, for live stream, for our buildings, for church. Lord, embolden our faith tonight. Help us to find comfort where comfort can be found. 
May even those who are searching and praying for direction in some area of their life find it tonight through the Word of God. Holy Spirit, I pray not just to be sensitive to your leading, I pray that you control my thoughts totally. And what comes out of my mouth is our thoughts God gives me. The Bible says the preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Feed your sheep. Exhort us, admonish us. Help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. During the Civil War, there was a battle called the Battle of the Wilderness. And a Union general by the name of John Sedgwick went out to inspect his troops. And he came to an area, a point, a parapet, which kind of overlooked the area uh, where their enemy was at. To the enemy, that location was very obvious where the Union was. To the Confederates below, they could see it. To the Union soldiers above, they could see them. As General Sedgwick was making his way, inspecting the troops and walking across that parapet, some of his officers said, General, you might want to be a little bit careful and duck. You might want to lower your head. In fact, General, you need to be a little bit careful because you might get hit by a stray bullet. Be careful, General. He looked out over the parapet, looked back at his office, he turned slightly, 45-degree angle, and he said this. He says, nonsense. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. It wasn't 10 seconds after he said that, there was the whir and the whizzing of a bullet that came and hit him in the head and fatally wounded General John Sedgwick. He thought... It couldn't happen to him. Have you ever said, this will never happen to me? You saw the news recently. Some 30-year-old man was scoffing and saying, COVID-19 is a hoax. It's not really real. He tended, he may have even been the originator of what was called a COVID-19 party, if you can imagine that. He contracted COVID-19, got very deathly sick, and from the report I read, he passed away and succumbed from that disease. Not making light of it, but he said it would never happen to me. Paul wrote a warning you'll find in verse 12 here. It's an ages-old warning. It's a truth warning. So it's a caution. It's flashing yellow lights. We're at a railroad track crossing telling you the train's coming. He said in verse 12, wherefore, everything he said before that, he says, now I'm going to tell you why I wrote all that. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Paul's saying, if you think you're strong, be careful. If you think you have everything going for you, you never know what's coming around the corner. He is cautioning you and me and every believer who reads this that there is a streak, there is a trait, and a characteristic that none of us want to admit to. And that streak, that trait, that characteristic is called overconfidence. The Bible has a different word for it. The Bible uses the word presumption. 
because of overconfidence, because of presumption. Israel, the forefathers of the, of the church, of the, of the believers that Paul is writing to, their, their church ancestors, they fell because they were presumptuous. Paul is still dealing, as we get to chapter 10, with the bigger topic he started in chapter 8. If you missed that, go back to the podcast to review the lesson on chapter 8 and chapter 9, which is where, all the way to the end of chapter 10, we'll get into it, Lord willing, the next time I'm in this, on Christian liberty. In chapter 8 and 9, he cautioned us about the exercise of our liberty in such a way that it becomes a stumbling block to a brother or sister who has a weaker conscience. In chapter 9, we saw last time the importance of discipline and running the race. And verse 27, if you'll go back to chapter 9, verse 27, he said, But I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection. So Paul was saying this, okay? He said, now, the demands of me upon me in the ministry and the requirements of walking by faith are such, I cannot be haphazard with my life. I've got to live my life under a set of rules and discipline. So he said, I keep my body under, I keep it under control and bring it into subjection. He said, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. We ended last time on that word castaway. The word castaway is translated the word reprobate. It is a word that's used in financial dealings. It's when they evaluate coins and determine that the coins are worthless. They are not genuine. They're reprobate, if you would. They cannot pass the test. And Paul was saying in chapter 9, verse 27, his greatest fear, his greatest apprehension, was living the Christian life, preaching a message, but not being careful with his life to the point where he became a castaway, where he got to the point where his life was of no value, and, it, and when put to the test, he was worthless. He gets there, and we start chapter 10, verse 1. Notice this. He starts off chapter 10 by saying this. Moreover, he's continually left off. He says, I've got more to say about the subject of being a castaway. I've got more to say about the subject of Christian liberty and exercising our liberty in the right way. He said, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. He's saying this, I want you to know something. I don't want you to ignore another principle about this. I don't want you to ignore what I just said, nor at the same time do I want you to be lacking in knowledge about this. And so tonight as we transition to chapter 10, we're looking at how Paul emphasizes the caution of becoming a castaway because we are overconfident, we are too cocky, we're too arrogant, we're too presumptuous about what we do and how we do it to the point where God, God allows a surprise to happen in our life that brings us down in a mighty way. I want you to notice tonight, first of all, the privileges. The believers at Corinth had many challenges. Honestly, when Paul was there, when he pastored them for 18 months, that was a great church. Paul mentions here all these things he taught them. And he has to remind them of They were a great church at the time he was pastoring them. They were getting it done. People were getting saved. They were making it dead in Corinthian society. But Paul left. Apollos came. Apollos helped strengthen them. But somewhere along the way, these, these people, where they got to, was they were, they were people that had a lot of, there, was, there were those who had a lot of knowledge. 
He dealt with those who were weak, the weaker conscience, the sinning brother in 1 Corinthians 5, the brothers and sisters who were suing each other, the marriage difficulties, those, challenge, those living with the challenge of being single, those living with the challenge of being divorced. I mean, all these different things. I mean, we dealt with a myriad of things in chapters 5, 6, and 7. But there was a, a large number of these believers that he was concerned about. That's why he started, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. These were people who sat, if I can say this, in his Sunday school class, in his leadership classes, his discipleship times. And this group of people, he was very concerned about their air of overconfidence because of the knowledge they had. He said this earlier. He said, knowledge puffeth up. And if we're truthful to ourselves, knowledge does puff up. Knowledge puffs up. He knew that as he was just saying things in chapter 9, verse 27, about keeping his body under and the possibility of him being cast away, those who thought they were knowledgeable, the overconfident bunch, they were teachers. They held positions. They'd been around the faith for a long time. They may have been in some of his original converts. They may have looked with a smug smile and said, yeah, Paul, right. That won't happen to us. He said, moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant. He says, in case you don't know what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you. And he says, at the same time, I think you know this, and I don't want you to ignore it. As preachers, we sometimes repeat and harp on doctrines, commandments, and responsibilities. And as we do so, like the people Isaiah preached to, they don't want to hear it. They want a different message. They want something soothing. Give us warm, soft messages. Stop telling us what to do, they say. And so Paul begins here by saying, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed to the sea. Number one, Paul is dealing with their privileges. And I want you to notice some privileges that he reminds them of at the, in the first four verses here. The first thing we see is Paul reminds them of the privileges of salvation. Notice what he tells them here. He says, I want you to remember, I want to remind you about our fathers who passed through the cloud and passed through the sea. Now, the Red Sea is a picture of our salvation. All of them passed through the sea. All of them went through the Passover experience. They all were under the blood, and they had to pass through the Red Sea. It's a beautiful picture of our salvation experience that only God could make a way. Only God could part the waters. Only God could make that seabed dry. Only God could deliver them. Only God could see them through that. There was only one way to the other side. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. They had to have faith in God. Albeit their faith was small, albeit their faith was shaky, they had enough faith they could hang on the Word of God to get them to the other side. And by the way, it was a long walk from one side to the other. We have, and he, and he talks about here, that all, all of our fathers pass 
through the sea. I'm thankful Paul chose the word pass through. The Bible says we have passed from death unto life, John 5, 24. I'm thankful that when you get saved, you've been passed from death to life. You've been passed, you have passed from darkness to life. You have passed from being a child of the devil, becoming a child of God. We see the privilege of salvation. They're no longer in bondage, but free in Jesus Christ. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But secondly, we see the privilege of safety. He said, I would not have you be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. You know the story about the cloud there, and I'll read it to you. Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 to 22. The cloud represented God's safety. The cloud represented God's presence. The cloud visibly gave them assurance that they had God's protection at all times. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 to 22. And, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud, cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The, the, that cloud was a visible testimony of God's grace, a visible testimony of God's presence and protection. They said that they were under that cloud. You know, I said this on Sunday, you know, the, when, you, when you think about the Red Sea incident, how Israel, that the, the pillar cloud followed them and went between them and the Egyptians. I mean, they could hear the Egyptians. They could literally feel the Egyptians breathing on the back of their neck. Now listen, as long as that cloud separated them and the Egyptians, they were safe. God protected them. Sometimes we get into these hairy situations where we think it's God gets down to the last minute before he, he bails us out on things. We wonder, Lord, why did it get down to so close? Because God wants us to know that we can absolutely trust him. Uh, many times God gets us right to the fence. God gets us, our backs against the wall. He gets it to that 11th hour just so that we can learn that God loves us and he's, he has everything under control. Thank God we, they were under the sea. Thank God you and I have the safety of being under his wings and we're under his shadow. There was the privilege of safety. Notice there was the privilege of having been submerged. Look what it says in verse 2. And all were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud in the sea. Now baptism, if you would, uh, being baptized unto, unto the cloud, into the sea, represented they identified with Moses. God wanted us to know that. They identified with Moses that they had been through the blood and they had gone through the sea. Baptism is always by immersion. Baptism is not by sprinkling. Baptism is not by pedo baptism, baby baptism. Baptism is not for the dead. Baptism is immersion. Baptism happens after you get saved. The Bible says, and they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The Bible teaches us here that our identification with Jesus Christ in baptism is we identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let me say this tonight. If you're watching this evening and you're saved, thank God you're saved. Thank God you've gone through a Red Sea experience. Thank God your sins are forgiven. Thank Thank God that, you're, that, you're, that you don't have to look back anymore and realize that you're saved. But if you've been saved, the next step for you is you need to be baptized. You need to identify with Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You need to have a Bible baptism. Bible baptism is in a Baptist church. Bible baptism is by immersion. Baptism is realizing you identify with the local church. You identify the doctrines of the local church and the separation of the local church and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the direction of that local church. That, that baptism is important. Baptism is a major step in, in, in the direction of sanctification there. Baptisms are gateway into church membership. If you've not gotten baptized, you should send me a message tonight on the prayer works line. Say, Pastor, I want to schedule to get baptized. And then notice something else here. They only have the privilege. We see here that Paul spoke to them about the privilege of salvation, and Paul spoke to them about the privilege of safety, and Paul spoke to them about the privilege of having been submerged. But notice in verses 3 and 4. Paul spoke to them about the privilege of God's supply. He says, and they did all eat... <coughs> the same spiritual meat, and they did all drink 
the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, I want you to notice several things here. First of all, I'm thankful Paul used the word same. Listen, they all, Jesus is the same. There's not a different Jesus for every believer. Jesus is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus that walked the shores of Galilee is the same Jesus that, that we pray through. The Jesus that died on the cross on Calvary is the same Jesus that saved sinners today. He said the same Jesus. They did all the same, eat the same spiritual meat. He's referring to every day by clockwork on five, six days a week that the God gave them manna. God gave them manna to sustain them. He was the bread of life. They did all eat of the same spiritual to me. Jesus met their need. He satisfied their soul. And then he spoke about, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock. And he's referring to that time when those several times when water gushed out of the rock. If you can imagine, the, the, volume, the volumes of water that came out of a rock to satisfy and quench the thirst of, of three million people and whatever they garnered from that and saved. I mean, that just reminds us that there's, there's an abundance of water that we get from Christ. There's abundance of refreshment. That rock will never Never run dry. That rock will never run out. Thank God tonight for God's supply. God meets our supply. We get depleted. We get drained. We get exhausted. We get fatigued. We get tired. We want to quit. But thank God we can come to Jesus Christ and we could dine on the man of the word, which is angels' food, each and every day. Because the Bible says about the Israelites, some gathered more, some gathered less. But I'm going to tell you, we ought to be people that gather more of the word of God, especially during the COVID-19 world. We need to get more of God's word. And we need to get more of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says they did eat of the same spiritual meat and the same spiritual drink. And then he says, he speaks about the rock that followed them. Did the rock walk? No, he's talking about the fact that the rock was also a shadow to them. They're talking about the fact that they stood on that rock, but that rock was a shadow to them. They were referring to the fact of the stability and the foundation that is found in Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul is saying in all this. He's saying, brethren, I would have you to know all of our fathers had the same privileges we have. The privileges of salvation, the privileges of God's safety, the privileges of being, having been submersed, the privileges of his supply. God has met our need. God has been good to us. Now tonight, you need to thank God that he's been good to you. You need to thank God that you're alive. You need to thank God that you haven't gotten COVID-19. And if you did get COVID-19, tell God thank you anyway. You ought to thank God that you still have a job. You ought to thank God that you'll be able to pay your, your debts. You ought to thank God you can pay your bills. You ought to thank God that you can walk. You ought to thank God for every good and thing that he does for you because every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. They were blessed with the privileges, but secondly, Paul speaks to them about their precedence. The precedence. In verses 5 to 12, Paul is not only going to, he just reminded them about their history, their privileges, but he's now going to tell them about the precedence in their history. And he starts off, verse 5, by saying, but. Paul gives us in these precedents an explanation as to why he gave the warning in verse 12. In verse 5 he said, but with many of them, that's interesting, many of them, a large number, God was not well pleased. 
Now, what's that telling you me? A majority of their spiritual fathers, the Jews, were overconfident in decisions they made. They set them backwards. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Wow. They had the privilege of salvation, the privileges of being submersed, the privileges of his supply, the privileges of his, all, all those things, his safety. Paul said, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, Paul could have stopped there. But remember, he's dealing with people where he defined them as knowledge puffeth up. And he said in verse 6, Now these things, these historical precedents, were our examples Our examples. Now listen, it's important to learn from my, it's important for me to learn from my mistakes. But it's even more important for me to learn from other people's mistakes. I don't make those same mistakes they made. Amen? Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Paul's saying here, if it happened to our fathers, that's why we have the examples, it could happen to you. Learn from history. The historian, the writer, Arnold Toynbee said this, the only thing we've learned from history is that we haven't learned from history. Paul dealt with lust. Chapters 5 and 6, did he not? And chapter 7. I mean, he, he, got, he got pretty much into it. But Paul wasn't done. Because the description that Chloe and some of the others gave to him about the church condition grieved his heart. And he looked at a church that, when he was there, they were getting it done. They were doctrinally sound. There were no lawsuits among believers. There was no known immorality being practiced among the believers. I mean, there's a number of things. They weren't critical of his ministry. They were taking up offerings. Uh, he had people there like Stephanus and Fortunatus who refreshed his soul. I mean, there, there were some people down there at Corinth that were helpful, but Paul has to deal with some issues now. And he starts off, as we look at verses 7 to 10, these precedents, 
He says, these things were written that we should not lust, have an evil desire, or cravings. And he defines it this way, after evil things. Now, he's going he's to get more succinct and specific. So look at the examples. He's given the explanation. Notice he gives the examples. He gives us four powerful and unforgettable examples from their history to remind them how they were overthrown in the wilderness. We're going to see the carnality and the consequence, the sin and the result. Notice the first one in verse 7. The first one is the sin of idolatry. Now, believe it or not, brother and sister in Christ, we think about idols, and maybe in your mind you're thinking of a foreign, a foreign country that's idolatrous. But Americans, American Christians, we have our own set of idols. And John, as he was completing 1 John chapter 5, I think verse 19 or verse 20 or verse 21, he said this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And here's what Paul had to say in verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, I, I believe here, and I'm going to show you some things tonight. I believe verse 7, the reason why he says, as it is written, he was quoting exactly as Moses wrote it in Exodus 32. And when he quoted it, I think it was for the reason he wanted these people where knowledge puffed up. He wanted them to go back to Exodus 32 themselves and to read it carefully again. Moses was on the mountain with God. God called him up to that mountain. God said, Moses, you need to spend 40 days up here with me. I've got some things to tell you. Part of what God gave him, he gave him the, he gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him the laws. Moses turned to Aaron, his brother. He said, now you, 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 you supervise these people. You watch over them. But as Moses was up on the mountain, just as God was busy with Moses and Moses was busy with God, and Joshua was just right down below, the people and Aaron were likewise to be busy. It ought not to be that God's man least gets away from the church for a period of time and God's people can't be trusted on their own. It ought not to be when the preacher's not in church, if he's preaching out somewhere, that people decide they're going to skip church. Or they're going to skip out live stream. Or they're going to just slack off on the Christian life. And the people got idle. Instead of being busy, Aaron was a weak leader. They pressured him. They said, make us gods. Make us gods. And so they took up an offering, interestingly. Stripped off all their gold. They gave it to Aaron. You can imagine three million people giving you an earring. That's a lot of gold. Amen. They melted it. He melted it down. And he fashioned a golden calf. Just like what they worshipped in Egypt. And the Bible describes what happened. When they saw their calf. You remember the words that Aaron said? Behold your gods which brought you out of Egypt. That was bad. And the Bible says the people sat down 
to eat and drink and rose up to play. There's no play on the words. It's exactly what it says. They ate, they drank, and they messed around. They played. They found their golden calf. What's your golden calf? What's your golden calf you worship? What's the golden calf that inspires you to take off your clothes and run around naked and do things that are immoral, immodest? What's your, what's your golden calf that moves you to go boogie-woogie there? And play, eat, and drink. For some, it's the golden calf of entertainment. For some, it's the golden calf of performance. They worship their pleasure. They worship their entertainment. For some, it's the golden calf of worldly knowledge. They just, like this group here, they just had to impress everybody with how much they know. For some, it's the golden calf of self-gratification. For some, and it's prominent in all of our churches today, it's the golden calf of narcissism. Where everything revolves around you, you're so egotistical. You have to be the center of attention. You have to have affirmation. You have to have approval for everything there. You've got to be the center of attention. You want to show off how much you know, which really you don't know jack squat about anything. There's a golden calf of rationalization. There's a golden calf of making God who we want him to be instead of worshiping him for who he really is. Idolatry is disobedience to the first two commandments and to the tenth commandment. The Levites rose up and killed 3,000. Hey, you know what Paul's addressing that? Because they had idol problems there. Our biggest idol is self. Our own self-vanity. We spend all of our time on the wrong things, including ourselves. Whatever your golden calf is, identify it now and throw it in the fire. There's a second one. There's a precedent of idolatry. Notice in verse 8, there was a precedent of immorality. This one takes us to number 25. He says, neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and 20,000. Remember, Paul started this out. Moreover, brethren, I would have you to know, I would not have you to be ignorant. They knew the story. Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam to corrupt the children of Israel. And the way he did it was through compromise. That's why he's referred to in 2 Peter, Jude, and Revelation. The doctrine of Balaam will find its way into every church. The Bible says this, the incident there in Numbers 25, verses 1 to 3, and Israel bowed in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Now how did that happen? Here's how, verse 2. And they, the daughters of Moab, were, in, were incited to seduce the men. And they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods. It was convenient worship. It was comfortable worship. And the people did eat and bow down to their gods. You know what they did? Whoa. I like worshiping the gods of the Moabites. I don't have to work. 
Listen, if you haven't figured this out, worship is work. Worship involves a contrite heart and spirit. Hey, some of you need to wake up and realize your worship of God is not worship if all you're doing is clocking in one hour a week to church and the rest of the time your heart's not there for God. Listen, if you're more important, if, if it's more important to you to get out of church and to stay in the church, you're not worshiping God. God is not pleased with that. That's what he said. God was not well pleased with them. And they said, man, we like this kind of worship here. We like this kind of worship that t- takes me to, I can take off my outer garment and unbutton my shirt. I can, I, this kind of worship here lets me do my thing. This kind of worship here, I can slide on the cider. And you know what they did? They got seduced by these women. They failed to compromise. And immoral behavior, according to verse 8, spread like a COVID-19 virus. They like that kind of worship. They like ecumenical worship. Kumbaya and hold my hands with the daughters of the Moabites. A carnal believer says they're looking at at worship and what God is going to do for them. Let me remind you tonight, worship is what you should be doing for God. You should come with a sacrifice. You should come for an offering. You should be ready to give. Listen, even though we have, we've been kind of, we just started coming back to church, uh, in between all that, thank God tonight for members, even though they were not here, the members that were faithful and sending in their offerings and sending in their tithes and still doing it right now and doing the right thing and not holding it off and putting it off the side and just saying, well, I'll wait till church reassembles. That is not biblical. Biblically, 1 Corinthians 16 says, on the first day of the week, systematically, you're to set aside as God has prospered you. And if we're not doing that, listen, we are sinning against the Holy God. Then you wonder why you have setbacks. Read Malachi chapter 3. These people here, they wanted an easy worship. Man, they were seduced. And Paul said there fell in one day three and 20,000. Now, if you go back to Numbers 25, it correctly tells us 24,000. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The Bible have an error? Is there a problem? Was Paul not inspired when he wrote that? No. Paul was still, as Peter said, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Paul is not quoting Scripture in verse 8. He quoted Scripture in verse 7. In verse 8, he's relying on his memory. Now let me tell you a couple things here. Number one, he did not over-exaggerate the number. Over-exaggerating the number would have been a problem. If he said 35,000 fell, that's a problem. That's a big error. He, he knew it was somewhere in that 20,000 range, and he just couldn't remember that moment of time. And he said 20,000. So he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't exaggerate. Number two, he did not quote from Scripture. He was relying on his memory of that, and the Holy Spirit allowed for that. That doesn't mean he made an error. It's, listen, between 23,000 and 24,000, that's a lot of people still. Amen? No error with Scripture. Holy Spirit was still working on him. What I want to tell you tonight in verse 8, there was compromise. There were those in verse 7 that says, we'd never worship an idol. Really? Well, let me watch you during the day. Let me see what you get excited about. You get more excited about your sports team than you do about Jesus Christ. I'll tell you where your idol is. 
You can be more excited about your financial gain than you do about souls getting saved. I'll tell you where your idol is. Yeah. You spend more time washing your car, but you don't even lift a finger to come help clean the church. I'll tell you who your idol is. Yeah. Paul was identified the morality issue. Then notice thirdly, the third one in verse 9 was their gravitation to insubordination. Basically, insubordination, I want to line everything up. Insubordination basically means this. It means they could not submit. I've just come to the conclusion they're just, there's some people in life, they just can't submit. They have that Joab streak, that Absalom streak inside of them. They have that Judas streak inside of them. They will never, they cannot submit because they, don't, they have to be number one. They're so narcissistic in their attitude, they have to be number one. That's why they stick around, because they're looking for that opportunity. Paul spoke about that in Acts chapter 20. So he said in verse 9, he said, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed as serpents. Now this is found in Numbers 21. Let me read to you verses 5 and 6, what he says very quickly. We need to end. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Whoa, there's a problem. They spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. You know, at that time, they're at the tail end of their journey in the wilderness. You don't like things in the church. You don't like things in the preacher. That's fine. But you know, you're speaking against God. You don't like the length of the message. You don't like the fact we do... We, we do expository preaching, topical preaching, whatever it is. You don't like the special number, whatever. You have a problem with God. You don't have a problem with everybody else. They spake against God. They spake against Moses. And they said, wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? God didn't do that. They're saying, God, you gave up on us. You brought us here. Lord, you threw us under the bus. God didn't throw you under the bus. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die here? Are you kidding me? After all the manna God gave them, the quail that God gave them, after divine mercies of God, after seeing God, uh, what he did on those plagues and seeing through the Red Sea, can you imagine they made a statement like that? They said, for there is no bread. Now that's a lie. Neither is there any water. That's a lie. And they said this, next phrase is blasphemy. And our soul loatheth or hateth this light bread. Wow. <laughs> Tempting Christ means prove to us you're real. Tempting Christ is saying, prove to me you really love me. Prove to me you're relevant. Prove to me you're taking care of us. And overconfidence morphed these people into thinking they had a right to speak against God and Moses. They became overconfident and failed idolatry. They, were, they became overconfident thinking that they, that they could not be seduced by Moabite women who are very beautiful women. And they fell. And no, it's not just the Moabites, it was also the Midianite women. And overconfidence led them to speak against the Lord Against Moses, you know what God did? God sent fiery serpents, venomous serpents. When they bit the individual, the venom burned through their veins. I'm going to tell you this. They were bit by the serpent long before the serpent physically bit them. They were destroyed as serpents. And I'm going to tell you right now, 
you have a problem submitting, those serpents are going to destroy you. You're not submitting to God, it's going to catch up with you, and God's going to destroy you one day. You watch out. Then notice verse 10. Overconfidence led to idolatry. Overconfidence led to immorality. Overconfidence led to insubordination. Notice, overconfidence led to ingratitude. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Do you know the word murmur is associated with um, witchcraft, demonology? Those people spoke secretly in low voices. Isaiah talks about that. And he's talking about Numbers 14 and 16. Numbers 14, verses 2 and four, uh, two through 4, he said, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, but would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore, as the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey, were, is it, were it not better for us to return? He tells what people always say. They say, isn't it better for us? Wasn't it better for us? They said one to another, let us make us a captain, let's return to Egypt. What happened? They were unthankful. The ten spies told the people they couldn't go forward. And they were like grasshoppers among giants. They slandered Moses and uh, they slandered Moses before the people. You know what happened to those ten spies? They were killed. God says they were they died by the plague. Not only that. The Bible says here in Numbers 14, all the children of Israel remembered against God. You know what happened there? You were over 20, you just signed your death warrant. You were over 20, you just told God you didn't want to go into the promised land. You were over age 20, you died in, that, in the next 40 years in that wilderness journey. Then number 16, Moses' own relatives, Korah, Dathan, and Abihu, led a rebellion, a big rebellion, of 250 princes against Moses. 250 of men of renown, of influence. They said, who are you to lead us? They weren't thankful. The earth, God opened up the earth to swallow Korah, Dathan and Abihu, and their families, by the way, when, you turn, you, when, you, when you're insubordinate and you get like that, it doesn't just cost you, it costs your whole family. And then the 250 princes who should have known better, who should have gone to Moses instead of following Korah and Dathan and Abihu, you know what happened to them? God sent fire down from heaven and consumed them. Paul uses the precedent of four historical failures that demonstrated how the Hebrews were overthrown in the wilderness. Look at verse 5 again. But with many of them, man, we start counting up the numbers, it's substantial. With many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Overconfidence buried them. Overconfidence pushed them over the edge. Overconfidence, presumption, was their downfall. We see their privileges. We see the precedence, which you notice the prudence. Verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for examples, 
that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the worlds are come. As I said earlier, we must learn from our mistakes. But it's even more important that we learn from the mistakes of others that we do not repeat their mistakes. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 11. These things happen unto them for examples and written for our admonition as a warning. It's important we learn from their mistakes. There's wisdom here. Paul is saying here in verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth. If you think you're strong, if you think you're morally upright, if you think you're bulletproof, you think you're above the law, you think you're hot stuff, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you fall. It happened to people better than them. It happened to people better than us. Paul was saying in verse 27 of chapter 9, I don't want to become a castaway. He said, moreover, brethren, he said, listen, same way. These people became castaways. They became they were proven that they were worthless and without value. God's telling us, don't be foolish and become a castaway. Don't ruin your testimony. Don't lessen your value before God. Don't hurt your children and future generations. God is not well pleased with overconfidence. Many of them were overthrown in the wilderness. If you, thought, if you think you're strong... Think again. If you think you're spiritual, think again. If you think you're entitled, think again. If you think God will let you get away with unconfessed sin, think again. If you think God will let you speak out against him and his spiritual leaders, think again. If you think you can live in compromise, think again. Let him that thinketh take heed. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. One more thing. There's the prudence. I want to give you a prayer. Go with me to Psalms 19. Look at verse 13 tonight. We're done. Psalms 19, verse 13. We look at a prayer. Overconfidence is what result is being overthrown in the wilderness. All of us, all of us battle with overconfidence because we have pride. And pride must be crucified every day. Victory over pride is moment by moment. This is like the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is not a constant. It has to be moment by moment. So notice his prayer. David said this. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. And I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Two things. The sin of presumption is pride and our overconfidence. He prayed, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. He said, Lord, please don't let them dominate me. He says, I want to be innocent from the great transgression. You know what the great transgression is? Being overthrown in the wilderness. Being a castaway. In 1912, the Titanic was launched from Liverpool, England. It was her maiden voyage. She was deemed unsinkable. The press and the message around that, this is the world's 
unsinkable ship. Nothing can damage its structural integrity. One God-fearing woman knew better. This woman had great anxiety in her heart for everything that was in the newspapers about the Titanic. Her family was to be on an ocean liner to cross from England, from Liverpool specifically, to America. Somehow they got transferred onto the Titanic. This woman was the mother of a seven-year-old girl who gave this testimony. Her name was Eva Hart. Her mother was Esther Hart. Esther Hart, in the room that they were given, the night in which the side was tore up, and water came in as it hit an iceberg, while everybody else was partying or sleeping, Esther Hart was up praying that night, begging God for the safety of her family. Thank God for a praying woman. She said, I just know something bad's going to happen. Somehow in the midst of all that, before doors and quarters were closed off, a number of things happened. She was able to move her family to an upper deck. And they were among the survivors as the water started to fill up the ship and the ship started to sink before it went upside. She was not among the 1,500 who perished in the icy waters of the Atlantic that night. When she read the shipbuilder's claims, she was quoted as making this statement. These statements fly in the face of God. And I want to tell you tonight as I close, Overconfidence, overconfidence flies in the face of God. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, look at these precedents, exercise prudence, take up the prayer of David, take heed, lest he fall 